Get ready to rumble. Shilling Show Unleashed on the Seven Thunders Media Network. Former city councilor, husband, father, and community watchdog. Your host, Rob Schilling. Welcome to the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Remember, your direct support makes our show possible, and you can directly support this podcast by visiting shillingshow.com and then clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page to make a monthly contribution. We appreciate your support. Ernest J. Zara III, PhD, retired assistant professor of teacher education, is author of the new book, Understanding Radicalism, How It Affects What's Happening in Education and Its Impact on Students. Ernie, thank you for joining us today on the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Hey, Rob, thank you. What a privilege to be with you this morning and your audience. I look forward to sharing and uh, discussing some real critical issues today. Since we're going to be talking about understanding radicalism, we should probably define it right up front so we know what we're talking about. You know, you can't have radicalism without having radicals. How do we understand radicalism? Well, the ideas about radicalism are one thing, the actions that people take are another. So there are a few basic steps that we can observe to in the production of radicals. Radicalism basically is a large term, but uh, you begin to see how the term breaks out when you look at ideologies and worldviews. Um, radicalism has a particular focus down on, say, a particular generation and issue, or a person who has an ideology, or a Christian or non-Christian worldview. So radicalism is just one more of those isms that's out there. But to pin it down to one definition, to one particular ideology, it's difficult. I will tell you this much, though. It's Saul Alinsky's book, uh, Rules for Radicals. He states, lest we forget at least over-the-shoulder acknowledgement to the very first radical, he goes on to say, this first radical known to man rebelled against the establishment and did it so effectively that he at least won his own kingdom, Lucifer. So we find that Saul Alinsky gives tribute to Lucifer and his pursuit as a rebel, achieving his own kingdom. The idea of radicalism is a rebellion against some type of authority, some type of administration or some type of kingdom that exists in the establishment of another one. I'd like to keep it tight, if we can, and talk about radicalization prevalent today, and maybe we should understand the first two or three steps of how to become a radical, and see that those do apply most relevantly today to our education system. So let's go right there. Let's talk about those steps, because I think people should be aware of them, particularly people who are sending their kids or their grandkids to uh, government schools where this is most prevalent. Exactly. Well, the first step, I think, is indoctrination. And so you must ask the question, if there are students being radicalized, then where are they first being indoctrinated? Because indoctrination basically goes along with, with uh, radicalization, as I'll, I'll talk about a little bit later. So you have to take a look at what's, what they're being taught. And when I say indoctrination, I'm talking about a one-sided, kind of slanted view that disallows dissent or a critical comment to somehow critique it to have an open point of view. What I'm saying is indoctrination is a good word. I mean, we use it in the church. We indoctrinate children with the scriptures. You know, we, we talk about learning doctrine and teaching doctrine. 
And I'll get to why that's different than indoctrination in public education in a little bit. But the first step is indoctrination. Secondly, we have radicalization occurs where we have some people ignorant, basically, outside their indoctrination. So the more they learn about how they feel about what they feel, the more they feel like they know something. For example, asking general knowledge questions about history and politics, geography, let's say, science and other things are really not part of today's students' cognition, if you think about it. Anybody on the street, you ask them questions about abortion and Palestine and pronouns and emotions, and then all those things explode and then everybody has an understanding, you know, on the street. But in terms of cognition and knowledge, the very things you need to critique life and other idea, ideas that you come in contact with, they're bereft of those in many cases. Place education as, as a problem there. Thirdly, I think the third step is there's only one allowable expression in indoctrination, okay? And that's within the radical groups. Uh, the radical groups only allow compliance, and they allow demonstrations of that compliance through activism. And there's usually a cause that uh, they advertise widely with nice professional design placards, but you're not allowed to ask questions, which is a, definitely a hallmark because indoctrination has a gestation period. And so exposure to ideas at a younger and younger ages, we see this happening now, like unlike before in our education system. LGBT group knows this. The trans movement knows this. This is why groomers and child sex traffickers are intent on children between the ages of 7 and 12. But some radicalism has a satanic underbelly, as Alinsky alludes to, as he praised Lucifer as the first radical. So I say the old adage is true. When you consciously train for an outcome, don't be surprised when that outcome is attained. If you apply this production of radicals in schools and you indoctrinate, and you indoctrinate toward activism, toward a cause that's one-sided, don't be surprised when you get it. And that's where we're at. So something that really bothers me, and you mentioned people not really having a depth of knowledge about many of these subjects, is that children, kids, are being made experts on topics that they know next to nothing about. They'll be uh, brought before a television camera or up in front of the media to talk about global warming, for example. And uh, this is a dangerous trend because people are looking at them thinking, well, gosh, the kids are the experts. Nothing could be further from the truth, right? Correct. Yeah. And often they're not researched on it. They're handed a set of narrative talking points by those from behind the scenes, and they're used as props. And children today are being used as props by radicals all over the place. The trans movement is a good example of the propping up of children who want to do something that they have no clue about in terms of longevity, no clue about the damage to their soul and their physical uh, existence, no clue. You know, radicals today, as you mentioned, they're enabled by social media and online organizations. These phone apps and in-person mob meetings, if you will, with protests, there's a specific types of radicals here we're dealing with. These include what I'll call the categories of woke and race radicals, social justice radicals, education radicals from colleges and universities, all the way K to 12 today, we find this down at that level. Of course, there are political radicals, there always have been, religious radicals, yes, elite radicals, and the plebes, all those that follow. So they find strength in large groups. So the child that's empowered by a group in the background that feels really important is equivalent in some ways to the emotional feeling they get when they say, you can choose your own identity and become your own little god here. Look what you can do. Look at you have a following. You have people that are doing the same thing. You must be okay. Things are great. So you empower a child in an area that an adult would be empowered in, but the power that they feel is one-sided and narrative-driven by the adults in the background. 
Ernie, there's another example I want to bring that this took place locally on the news, and there was a local elementary school that was protesting bullying by walking out of the class with signs and placards. And I'm talking about kids who are probably eight, nine, ten years old. Now, this has got to be yeah. something beyond just the issue of bullying, because you could talk about that in the class. Why would we have a walkout with signs and placards and slogans? Because social media makes walking out the focus of attention. You get no attention in the old days when you and your friends walked out of the classroom or you got all suspended or maybe you had detention. Now you get social media attention. You get hits and clicks and you get TikTok rallies. You get kids videotaping their walking out in the confrontations. Everything now has exploded toward attention. And this is why a lot of young people are seeking attention through every avenue possible, including changing their bodies for that very attention. And so we've got a very attention-driven, very shallow, narrow-minded, slanted activism that's taking place today in schools. We have the radicalization that's occurring where people think that they can become their own little gods, and it's really, it's really prevalent. You think about the parallel here, Rob, of the Christian experience of, quote, being born again. What greater power would you give a child to say, you can choose your own gender? You can be something other than who you are or what you were at birth, just as spiritual and deep as someone who comes to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Think about the parallel of that spiritual experience of being born again in yourself that a child can experience and say, wow, and then get celebrated by that by a certain segment of the population who does the same thing. But dare turn on them, they'll, they'll ruin you. But the whole point here is walking out to protest bullying doesn't solve the problem. It gets attention, doesn't it? And so that's all we're dealing with here. If you have a solution to that bullying problem, then you have people sitting down discussing the issues. What's the cause or the effects? What are we going to do about discipline policy? Where's the administration and all this? What about the district? And then what about the policy for those that are doing the bullying? Is it physical, social, emotional? You've you got to get to the bottom of that to solve the problem. But no, we have an attention-seeking generation today. And if you get attention, that means that you get clicks. And, and it's unfortunate, but that's where we're at. Ernie, something that happened, you referenced this in the book, during the COVID shutdowns, that parents got an eyeful of this indoctrination when their kids were on the online classes. They finally got to see what had been hidden from them for a long time. What effect did that have going forward, and how did that change the equation? My goodness, that, that is a great question. And I can tell you from the research I've been doing um, for the past several months on that, states all over the nation are seeing drops in public education enrollment. Now, the unions who want to blame it on COVID, they're going to want to blame it only on COVID, Randy Weingarten doesn't understand why homeschooling is exploding. So <laughs> if we could sit down with these people and explain to them, look, parents finally saw the indoctrination that we've been warning about all along from the younger generation of Gen Z and millennial teachers in the classroom that have come through our system from K to 12 and K to 16 are now trained to do the very things they were trained to do again. If you train and indoctrinate, don't be surprised what you get in the classroom. Well, now the teachers are those people who we've trained. So now the parents have seen things on the board, things on the posters and hanging in the classroom. They've heard teachers give out uh, information. They've been told by their district, take things down, hide them in the, in the background. Some teachers are just not going to do that. Parents saw things firsthand that, you know what, my kid's not being educated 
during this COVID era. I can do a better job than that. And some of them do a better job. They removed them from public education. They put them in private schools where they didn't shut down, where uh, education is more than just indoctrination. But, you know, you sign a document saying you can teach my children this doctrine of the biblical Christian doctrine. But if I don't like it, I can leave. In a public school, you can't sign such a waiver. You're there and you're stuck in a compulsory fashion. A very big difference between indoctrination at one place and another. What you've got here is parents understanding what's really going on now. And then the groups begin to see on the very social media that the children were using, parents becoming upset. It's board meetings and parents becoming upset by reading to the, to the board some of the books that are in their libraries. And you saw some uh, worksheets that are being posted online that students had to turn back in and they're sharing with their parents. Parents looking over their shoulders and hearing what the teacher has to say about pronouns and, and LGBTQ and trans things in a math class. Getting concerned about, about what's happening with your child. First and foremost, when you touch mama bear, you touch the world. Well, this is what's so sad about all of this is that these parents and these mama bears in particular, because it does seem to be a lot of women standing up, are being demonized. And I think that the ultimate battle is, well, who do these kids belong to? Because I've heard local politicians and school board members saying, well, the the schools need to be a safe place for the kids to come out of those uh, nasty homes they're in with their nasty parents. And so, you know, there are some nasty homes and nasty parents. Okay, there are. But what are we doing to help those nasty homes and nasty parents? Just removing children from them without helping? You see, when I was raised, schools were a community-based thing. So your parents showed up at meetings. The parents were a true parent-teacher board. The parents were not there to make you know radical changes in policy or to represent the state-level perversions, if you will, of, of anything that happens in culture. Parents showed up. There were two parent families. The little league groups were in town. There's a, there was a lot of that back and forth. And my dad told me, you get in trouble at school, you get more in trouble at home. So there's a, the accountability is lacking today. The schools have taken over the roles of parents, and we have fallen asleep and allowed them to do that, thinking they truly support us. Well, they don't truly support us. They believe they can do it better. They believe that because they're trained, and I was a teacher education trainer for many years. I can tell you what I experienced firsthand there, where the parents were like, yeah, well, you know, they want to do this at home, but they're not really trained educators. Well, we're training educators today, you know, on how to be trauma-informed delivery experts. We're, ta- we're teaching them how to be psychology uh, counselors, and we're, we're teaching them how to work with students who come from broken backgrounds and all that. Schools today are now triage units, hospitals for many ill, mentally ill kids, clinics for medical, for kids that want to change their gender. And, you know, teachers are basically what I call, they're, they're co-opted out and they're facilitators for a program that's already deliver delivery system, you know, ready. And so teachers are, are, are good ones are at a loss what to do, but the ones that are radicalized, those are the ones that feel will fit right in because what the delivery system is allowing them to do is take what they've learned, then take it to the classroom, deliver it as the state requires. And here's the big thing. When challenged, all the answer is that the district requires me to do this. That's how they, they get out of everything for the most part. So you can't be a radical in a situation where radicalization's already occurred because then you're going to be name called and thrown out. Things are reversed today. If you were a radical in the old days, you were removed. The radicals are now in charge. And you're the radical that's hated and name-called if you go against the narrative and the system today. 
So parents, no wonder why they're being called this and that, and no one's stepping into the fray to help them. I thought schools were supposed to be about families. Not anymore. They're about student-focused education, student-centered education, not family-centered. If you have a family-centered public school in a smaller district, God bless those people who are working their, their tails off and doing the right job. Today, with the unions and with our bigger schools that we have today, and thousands of students in high schools, they just have removed themselves, and now they are the place to go where they'll raise your kids. Again, what you train, what you rear, you're going to get. The Shilling Show Unleashed podcast continues in a moment. Our guest is Ernie Zara. Join the revolution online at shillingshow.com. Shillingshowmedia.com is your one-stop shop for websites, audio and video production, and photography. Shillingshowmedia.com will take your project from conception to completion. Shillingshowmedia.com is reasonably priced and highly professional. Need a website for your business? Visit Shillingshowmedia.com. Need a video created or edited? Visit Shillingshowmedia.com. Have a photography or graphic design project? Visit Shillingshowmedia.com. Shillingshowmedia.com is your one-stop shop for websites, audio and video production, and photography. Visit Shillingshowmedia.com. That's Shillingshowmedia.com. Get your fix. Shilling Show Unleashed. We continue now. The book is Understanding Radicalism. Author Ernie Zara joins us here on the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. One of the things, Ernie, that bothers me the most, and you talk about this in the book, is this battle over innocence. And really, this is a serious attack on the souls of these children to rob them of their innocence. What's behind that? Huh. Well, whatever force is behind robbing innocence from the very beginning of time still exists today. Mm. And so uh, I look at this and I, I think to myself, as a Christian with a Christian worldview, I can pretty much pinpoint you know, where I want to put the blame on this. But I can't blame the evil one for everything, because people are in the equation as well. People can devise all sorts of things that fit their own agenda. The factors that are underlying the evil, if you will, that is affecting children today is basically driven from their worldview. Their worldview is that there is no God, that you are a progressive individual growing towards something that we have laid out for you, that we are leaving the old behind becoming new. And so there's another, another aspect to this where children feel like they're doing something and realizing something and experiencing a lot that their parents, grandparents didn't experience. And every generation feels empowered by that. I can tell you, you know, mine did from the silent generation and the millennials felt that way and Xers felt that way from, you know, the boomers and all that. But today's kids feel very, very lost in the mix as well. There's no surprise that Gen Z and millennials are called the therapy generations for a reason, because there's a lot that they're experiencing, a lot that uh, they have in, in their uh, everyday lives that's coming at them from every angle. They feel so good about it all, but yet they're so empty inside from it all. So who do I blame? Well, I'm going to blame the evil one, number one, because evil hasn't changed from the beginning of time. And I'm going to blame mankind for leaving behind God and the, the morality that we left, that we've left behind, for knowing what right and wrong is. Because today, if you think you're born as something 
other than your biology, then that's right to you. Today we live in a universe <laughs> where upside down is right side up, left is right, and, and wrong is right, and right is wrong. And, you know, I, I look at my, my worldview and I say to myself, how far did we come where we have said that science is irrelevant now, but your feelings override science? And then we've got to treat you as if you, you, you are the claim of what you are rather than what the biology is of what you are. We've, we've really, really inverted a lot. So if you look at whatever causes an inversion, whatever worldview you have that allows others to say truth is not truth, but it's your truth and not really the truth. And wherever you have evil in the past that's still here today, and I'm looking at around the world as well, you know, that still exists. So I put the blame on we humans, okay? That's where I put the blame. But we're subject to being deceived and indoctrinated ourselves, so we've got to be careful about that. So something else that's going on related to that, and I used to look at Christianity as kind of the last bastion against all this indoctrination and the crazy social trends that were going on, and yet now the, the church has itself has been subverted. The walls have been breached. Uh, is there any going back? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there certainly is. Yeah, there's a movement today across the nation to leave denominations from within to split off and go your own direction with the denomination because of the movement toward ordaining homosexuals or allowing marriage of same sex or not even recognizing God anymore. I mean, there's a lot of agnostics who are deconstructing their faith and walking away from it today. So yeah, there is a going back, but there's going to, you have to draw attention to it first. Then you have to, you have to cause, you have to say what the causes of this are. So if I look at what's caused in the church, well, let's say how much time you're spending online, for example, Online, there's a lot of stuff, and the stuff you're putting into your mind from online, let's say as a pastor, you are beginning to be indoctrinated yourself by certain things. Are you spending more time doing this or this or this? Because, again, what you train, put in your mind, you're going to finally get it eventually. So I think there's a lot of porno- pornography addiction today. I think there's a lot of thinking that God didn't come through for me today, which is a cheap grace type of message. I think at our seminaries that we're going so woke— that we're equity-driven but not salvation-driven, and so we're social justice-minded, and we're not necessarily, you know, godly-minded. So we're leaving behind the very truths of the Orthodox Christian faith in favor of a social faith or a social justice faith today. And I was reading an article just this week about how social, the social gospel is making a return again from the, the early 20th century. So, you know, you've got all of these programs for people and skin color and and ethnicity, and and you're losing the focus that in Christ you're one. The divisions are not essential in Christ, but yet we want to make sure that those divisions and those separations are so divisive today in churches that it's driving people away from churches and away from God because the unity in Christ is missing from the pulpit. You talk about all of us being one, and yet race radicalism, as you discuss in the book, Ernie, is being promoted heavily in America. To what end, and uh, who is behind this particular promotion? Who benefits from race radicalism? If you look at the people making money, <laughs> I always look, yeah. I try, I try to follow the money, all the money in any kind of fad, fad like this. I look at uh, you know <clears throat> the D'Angelo's and the Kendi's and uh, the Crenshaw's and and all of the institutions that have developed DEI offices from federal funds across the nation and schools and colleges. 
and you, there is a marketplace today for race radicalism, and there's a lot of money to be made from it. And you know they've made it. BLM has made it, and they've lost millions. No one knows where it's gone. So, yes, race radicalism is is one of those nice terms. It sounds like you should be on the side of it, you know. But at the same time, it's been used as a money making machine for a lot of individuals, and they've done very well. I mean, when you get fifty thousand dollars for an hour, or a hundred thousand dollars for an hour just to speak and not allow questions about what you've written. You have risen above the race radicalism and social, you know, dynamic that you hope to portray in the, you know, the messaging and in the activity. And now you become one of those elites. The beneficiaries, I think, are those making money. What's behind it? Well, there, let's put it this way. Our country is, you know, we got some issues in our past. Mm -hmm. But name another country that's risen above the issues that we have. Name another, name another country that has allowed the equality of opportunity. And in the book that I wrote from Character to Color, we have just rejected Martin Luther King Jr.'s message of the content of a person's character being more important, better to look at than a person's skin color. Now, skin color has become all the rage. And skin color, uh, not only that, but painting another race as having an original sin that's inescapable and unforgivable is sort of a quasi Christian message, because it's not really Christian, you know, because only one race has original sin. Well, no, we all do. I'm looking at this whole thing here and thinking to myself, there is a rescue point, and there is a going back, but it's got to start in the pulpits in the churches. It's not going to happen in the schools, because people that go to schools also go to churches a lot of times. So the pulpit is the place of truth, and if that continues to comp be compromised by a message that is cultural— that is the same message they're getting in school, then we ought to hold off for a real wild ride in the next few years. Well, we should talk about that because in our final minutes, I'd like to get into what are some of the outcomes that you would see if we stay on this track. I'm, a, I'm an optimist by nature, but there is something in me that sees trends, and those trends are what I write to. So I think I have a little bit of insight in where I think this may be going. I think there's going to be such horrific baggage for the American population and the younger generation in the next 10 years that the church is going to have to do some serious work just to be able to minister to this group. They are harming their bodies. They're taking drugs. They're being harmed in terms of fentanyl and other things. And the addictions are just rampant. Mental illness, we've been told, and a lot of articles that I've read is out of control in the younger generations. Families are fractured, and nuclear families being dismantled. These are all things that are pointing in a bad direction. But again, here, here is the message that I bring, okay? The message of hope and the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have seen so many lives turned around. I mean, including mine. You know, and, and everyday living with the truth of the gospel. If God is who he is, and the Holy Spirit is as powerful as he is in the Scripture, then he could change lives. He could turn them around one at a time. And that's our job. Our job as teachers and educators is to turn lives in the right direction, not cause them to make their own choices and go awry. So good teachers, good ministers, good parents, no matter what station you're in or where you're at at this point in life, make a conscious choice to return to truth. Get back to truth. 
begin with one-on-one, you know, mentoring and discipleship in your families and in your communities. Don't get lost in the huge big picture. Optimistically, we win the world one at a time for Christ. And that's the way I look at life, Rob, because you can't, you can't save anybody from choices that they make. But you can, you can give them the other side of it, which they're not getting, and have them make a better choice toward truth and a better choice, in my mind, toward Christ, who is uh, the restoration of, of the things that you're dealing with, you know, the problems in your heart and soul. So that's where I'm at. That's where I'm focusing. That's the message I'm bringing to churches and pastors is get your butts in gear and get moving because the wreckage that's coming down the pike is going to be horrific. And then we need to be there for them because the school certainly won't be. Absolutely, we do. Ernie Zarr, if people would like to get a copy of your book, Understanding Radicalism, or if they'd like to follow your work online, can you tell us how? Sure. You can order the book anywhere online or through any bookstore. Um, it's uh, uh, national, domestic, or international. You can check out my website at drerniezara.com, D-R-E-R-N-I-E-Z-A-R-R-A.com. It's my personal website. Get a hold of me. I'm free. Uh, for the next several months to come and join you at your church to talk about these issues and to begin an action plan if you'd like. And I want to work with pastors and uh, youth pastors and, and just take a look at the problems we're dealing with and come up with one or two good solutions to move this beast, you know, in the right direction. It's like a aircraft carrier. Mm-hmm. We've got to start moving it so that down the road it gets to the position we need to be in. Ernie Zara, you've done a remarkable job in understanding radicalism. Thank you for joining us today on the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Ralph, thank you so much for the opportunity. God bless you guys and your listeners as well. That concludes another edition of the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Visit us online at shillingshow.com where you can directly support this podcast by clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page and making a monthly donation. Your support is essential for the continuation of the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Until next time.